Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. So we, we are finishing up our Kingdom of God series. Uh, there's a lot that could be said uh, about the Kingdom of God, and we could go on and on and on. Um, but we're going we're gonna to cap it off here. Uh, I just wanted to quickly refresh what we've been talking about so far. So the first uh, sermon, we listened to Marty give uh, a message about the three key aspects of the kingdom of God. Does anyone remember what they are? The finger of God is moving, all right? That's, that's always, that's a given. It's always happening. God's finger is always moving, but particularly in his kingdom, the finger of God is always moving. Does anyone know the second one? They call him Lord. He is king in his kingdom. That makes sense, that God is king in his kingdom. So uh, if you're going to be part of the kingdom of God, you have to recognize that God is king. He is Lord. And the third one, anyone? They respond in obedience. There you go. So uh, he's not just king, but you also listen to your king. You obey your king. You follow after what your king says. So those are the three key aspects of the kingdom of God that uh, his finger is moving, that he is Lord, and that people respond in obedience. Uh, the next week, uh, I got to share uh, from Colossians and uh, how Jesus has conquered the domain of darkness and transferred the, the people that were enslaved there to his kingdom. And, uh, and he did so by the power of his cross. Uh, and then Gary, over the last couple of weeks, has been unpacking parables in the parable of the soils and uh, how parables are confusing and, and they actually require active attention, that you have to actively listen. You can't just sit and passively hear something. You have to go and, and find out what does it mean and why is this important? Why did Jesus say this? And, and Jesus was inviting active listeners, people that wanted to know more. Uh, and, the so- and the parable that Gary was sharing with us was the parable of the soils, which was talking about how to have good soil. And, and I feel like that's kind of like the culture of the kingdom is, is this good soil that we bear fruit. Um, and today we're going to talk about how do we talk to our king? How do we go before our king and how do we communicate with him? Uh, and let's start off by doing that. Father, uh, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity you've given me to share your word. Uh, Thank you for um, just how good you are and how great you are. And uh, please meet with us now. Uh, We give this time over to you. Help us learn and grow, but also apply. Let us not miss the opportunity to hear from you and and what you want us to to do or say or or to change and and work in our our lives. Holy Spirit, meet in this place. And we give this time over to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read verse 9 through 13. It'll be on the screen, it'll be in your sermon notes, or you can open up your Bible. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How many of you guys heard this before? Lots of you, right? How many of you guys got it memorized? All right, those are the ones going to heaven. Good job. <laughs> Just kidding. No, but uh, that's, 
that's uh, something that I had to memorize uh, a long time ago. Uh, and so it, it's, it's probably, you've probably heard it before. Uh, and this is Jesus. Talk, let's get some context for it. This is, this is found in the Bible. This is glossed over a lot, but it's found in the Bible. Uh, it's found in the New Testament in the gospel, the gospel of Matthew. It's also found in a sermon, a ser- the Sermon on the Mount to be uh, specific. And, and that's Jesus's sermon that he came down to preach. So uh, this is an important moment because I think a lot of people, the way we do church nowadays, like people think that the Bible is like covered with sermons. It's not. Uh, most of the time there's messages, there's prophecies, uh, there's poet- poetry, there's songs, uh, there's lots of stories, there's laws and other stuff. So there's a lot of that stuff, not a lot of sermons. And this one in particular is really cool uh, because it's Jesus's sermon. Jesus, you know, God came down to earth preached a sermon. Best one that ever, that's ever been. I know you guys think I'm a really good preacher, but Jesus was actually better than me. I know it's crazy, right? Uh, there's another sermon that's, that's mentioned in the Bible that I'd love to hear. Jesus actually, after he rose again, talks to a couple guys. It's, it, he, it's recorded in Luke that he talked to a couple guys on the road to Emmaus and it says he told them all this stuff. And it's one of those moments that I'm like, what stuff? Like, tell us, <laughs> what did he, uh, anyway. But this is one of the cool things because we actually get to hear his sermon. It's recorded in, in uh, the three synoptic gospels, uh, which is really cool for us. And this particular passage falls in a point in the sermon where Jesus is emphasizing, uh, oh, by the way, Sermon on the Mount. I had a picture to kind of uh, show like what it would have looked like. Someday I'd love to preach a sermon or preach a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And like, I, I asked Chris to put some like fans in here and put some seagull sounds and stuff, but apparently that's too much work or whatever. <laughs> Just kidding, Chris. Uh, no, but this is where like, this is the scenery that would have been happening. Jesus would have been preaching uh, to people and they would have been listening and this is what they would have been seeing in the background. Uh, and in this particular moment, Jesus is in his sermon. He's going through three different things, uh, giving alms, praying, and fasting. Uh, these like three spiritual disciplines. And as he's talking about them, he has a central three theme working through them all that we are supposed to be doing this stuff for our relationship with God and not for the reactions we get from others. That other people, uh, that there are many people that do these things, but only so that they can get a, a reaction from other people. And what they get in return, their, their reward for this is the reaction that they get, the impression that they leave. That's all they get in uh, reward for what they're doing. But if you want to truly give, and if you want to truly pray and truly fast and, and do so well, then you do so with, in a personal relationship with God. Uh, and today we're going to be focusing on the prayer portion of that. Um, and uh, we're going we're gonna to back up a little bit to help us set up the scene because Jesus didn't just start with the sermon or with the Lord's Prayer. He actually uh, goes back to Matthew 6, 5 through 8. He talks about how not to pray. So let's, let's look at how not to pray first before we get in, dive in and break down how to pray. So verse 5 says this, when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
So uh, we've got hypocrites and Gentiles. Uh, other translations would translate it pagans, uh, which is kind of interesting because Jesus is talking about pagans praying. Pagans don't pray. Like that's, that's their, we're talking about people that don't have a relationship with God and yet they're praying. And so Jesus, I think, is kind of subtly also talking about the people that are praying, that pray to God, but aren't actually praying to God. Uh, and so Jesus is, is um, throwing shade at these people. That's a youth term for you. Uh, and he, he's letting them know that, that they are praying and they're doing so with the wrong attitude. And let's take a look at what those wrong attitudes are. First, he calls them hypocrites. This is the same word that uh, is, is used as actors um, when, in, in this time. They, w- they would call hypocrites and actors the same thing uh, because that's what they do. They act. Uh, they're not who they are and what they're doing is separate. We, we live in a society that glorifies actors. I never really understand why. Like we, like I, don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a fanboy of you know, some actor like Chris Pratt and stuff. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be like really excited to meet him. But... Uh, I, I'm not necessarily going to take his advice above everyone else's advice. Like that's, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know why, why that would mean something to me because all he does is he's famous for acting and he's good at it, but he's an actor. That's it. Um, and what these people are doing, these prayers, these pagan prayers, they are acting. They're inconsistent. They're doing something uh, before people and it's not actually how they really relate to God. It's not a real relationship there. It's a fake one so that people can see them and be impressed by them. This is an inconsistent, impersonal, cold, doesn't mean anything. And then he, he follows that up in verse seven with these, with these Gentiles or pagans that, that offer up empty phrases. And that word empty phrase in Greek, it is the same word that we get babbling from. Some of your translations might've said babbling. Uh, and it's just this idea that they're saying lots of stuff and none of it has any meaning. It, it means nothing. Um, so they're trying to have these impressive conversations with God, but it's not actually with God. Uh, and it means nothing. It's impersonal. It's cold. It's attached. And what this leads to is a relationship with God that's transactional. That they, they feel that they are doing what they're supposed to do. Because remember, this isn't necessarily people that don't know God. These are people that know God. They're trying to pray to him. They're trying to act like they have a relationship with him, but they don't. Uh, so they know God, but they have this relationship where they're supposed to do everything right and their prayers are supposed to be heard. They're supposed to be glorified for that. Uh, and what ends up happening, and this is an important thing because I think sometimes pagans can't pray like Christians, but Christians can still sometimes pray like pagans. Um, and so just we have to be careful that we don't slip into some of these things. I, I don't know about you, but I pray so often um, not like, I'm, I'm such a good prayer, guys. Uh, but it's, I pray a lot, and I pray a lot for the same things that often my words, I, I, I forget to attach meaning to them. I forget that I'm talking to God. Sometimes I, I pray at the end of a day where I'm so tired and drained that I, I'm just trying to get through it. And, and I'm coming before God. And, and these mean, this word has no meaning. I was kind of thinking of it like... Um, have you ever talked to somebody who's texting or something or paying attention or reading something on their phone and they're trying to have a conversation with you, but you know, like, they're not hearing a word you're saying. They're just like, uh-huh, yeah, oh, mm-hmm. You know, and I, I catch myself having these types of prayers where I'm, I'm distracted and I'm not really paying attention to the words that I'm saying. I feel like I'm, in a way, praying like a pagan. 
I, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do, but it's not really personal. It's not a real relationship at that moment. Not to say that that means that, I, you know, like I still pray and I have lots of meaning most of the time, but there are times where I pray more like a pagan and I use a bunch of empty words. Now, what happens when we have this transactional relationship with God, uh, we, we have a response that tum- sometimes helps us understand if we're, we're slipping into this. Uh, if you're responding to unanswered prayer with anxiety or anger, uh, you might be having this transactional relationship with God because you believe you deserve, you're, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're praying to God. He's supposed to give you what you want because you did what you were supposed to do. He's supposed to do what you, you know, he's supposed to do. Uh, and so you, you might feel anxiety that either you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're not doing it correctly because God would have given you what you want. Or you're angry because you did, you feel like you did everything right and God's still not giving you what you want. And uh, so you might be having those reactions and if you're feeling that, uh, you, might be, you might be slipping into pagan prayer. Uh, you also, if you do get what you want, let's say your prayer is answered. I always hate that, like when we say prayers are answered. Like a prayer can be answered, no. Like that's still an answer. <laughs> it's just not the one you wanted. Uh, but you can get what you want. Like, God, like maybe the thing that you prayed for happened and your response in that moment, if you're a pagan and you have this transactional relationship with God, is you deserve it. It's not miraculous. It's not amazing. You're not grateful. You're just, I deserve this. Thank you. But maybe not even thank you. Like, I deserve this. <laughs> so that's the type of pagan prayer that Jesus is attacking in this beginning portion before he gets into how to pray. He's telling us, don't do these things. Don't have a pagan prayer. Don't have, say a bunch of things that have no meaning. Don't, um, don't respond with like, oh, I deserve this or anger or anxiety. Don't say a lot of things that mean nothing. So how should we pray? That's how not to pray. That's how, how we're not supposed to do it. So how should we? And fortunately, this is one of my favorite things. And we got to give credit where it's due because a lot of times people f- are frustrated with the Bible uh, because like, where, where are the answers? Just give me the answers that I want to know. We have an answer, guys. This is one of the answers. It's like, okay, I, how should I, should I pray? And in verse nine, pray then like this. Boom, there you go. Uh, we have an answer and super cool. Uh, but before we get into dissecting that prayer, we also, Jesus has already shared a couple things that we need to know. One, that we should pray in private. And I don't necessarily mean, I don't necessarily think this means that you always have to pray in private. Obviously we pray together and I think that's biblical. There's a lot of times where people pray together and that's a good thing. Um, but I think what Jesus is getting at is that we should always pray like we're in private. That we should have personal, authentic, genuine prayers. We should have this relationship with God that's genuine and authentic. And we should have that whether we're with people or whether we're alone. That shouldn't change. We shouldn't change how we pray and how we talk to God depending on who we're around. Um, So we have to be personal. We have to have this private, genuine, authentic relationship with God. And also we have to recognize that he already knows everything we're asking for. He already knows everything we're going to ask for, and he already knows everything we need. Uh, So as we approach God, we need to have those things. And then he says, pray then like this. And what I want to say before we dive into it is, this is not what to pray. This is how to pray. It's a key difference there. We're not looking at this to say, okay, this is what I need to say every time. Because again, if you just say it over and over again, it has no meaning. You're just babbling. 
What this is saying is how to pray, the steps that prayer, the, the things that prayer encompasses. And so we're going to walk through all the different pieces of how to pray. Um, so we look uh, back at our passage, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, and it starts with our Father in heaven. This is the address. This is the beginning of the prayer. And then we're addressing, uh, we're addressing who we're talking to. We're talking to our Father in heaven. Now, a lot of us started differently. Like for most of my life, I started, dear God, you know, like I was writing a letter to him. I never really thought that was weird because, you know, I always grew up doing that. Everyone else around me did that and it made sense. But then I started, as I got older, I was like, why do I do that? That's super weird. Um, but we're starting with our address, who we're talking to. And I think one of the key fundamental things that Jesus shares in this moment that I think is actually, it, it, it's probably the most important part of the prayer. No, I'm going to boldly say it is the most important part of the prayer. Um, he starts it with our father. The, the, the beginning of this begins with father. And this brings up some difficult stuff because some people have not the greatest relationships with their earthly father. Some people have bad. Yeah, we have lots of mixed feelings there. And so um, we have a hard time. And I, I've met people that have talked about this that have a difficult time understanding God as father and they'd rather relate to him as king or as friend, uh, but they don't like talking to him as father because they have a difficult relationship with their own father. And I think that this is something we have to wrestle with and we have to work through because I think it's very important that we start off our prayers as we come before God and we talk to him, talk to our king. We understand him first as father. Because as we're talking about the kingdom of God and we're talking about our all-powerful creator and that he is king over the kingdom that we're in, um, you can't talk to a king. You can't just randomly think, I'm going to go talk to the king today. If you're living within a kingdom, most of the time you've got to wait in line and it better be a very big issue that you have to talk with him. You can't talk with him about little stuff. You can't talk to him. You certainly can't be frustrated with him. You can't be like, oh, I don't like this because you're going to die if you do. Like if the king's like, oh, I don't like this negative feedback, <laughs> goodbye. You know, like that's, that's not what everyone, all the citizens of the kingdom get to do. The only people that can go before a king whenever they want, the only people that can talk to the king about whatever they want to talk about and wake him up in the middle of the night, can do whatever they, be, even be frustrated with him, are his children. Only the children can go before the king. Only his children, if he's a loving father, can say whatever they want. They, they can get his attention however they want. Only his children can do that. And so that's why I think it's, it's extremely important that we understand God is our father first and foremost. That when we're praying to him, when we're talking to him, we think of him as dad. I, I like to use the phrase papa because I don't call my dad papa, but you know, I, I call God that because it, it still establishes that relationship and it's a word that I like. I just, it's just my thing. Don't steal it. No, you can do whatever you want. Um, but we, we all... Uh, we're supposed to have this personal relationship with God. And this should help us alleviate everything that the pagans do. Everything that a pagan does is impersonal and cold and distant. It's all transactional. It's all about what I'm supposed to do for you and what you're supposed to do for me. But if we come to our father, it's a different relationship. It's all relational. It's all about who I am to you and who you are to me. It's not about what we do for each other. It's about who we are for each other. And that we are, I am child and you are father. 
And Jesus kept mentioning that over and over again. He kept saying, your father, pray to your father, talk to your father. Your father knows what you need before you even ask him. And now, now if you have this relationship with God, if you're praying to father, to dad, when you don't get what you're asking for, you respond in trust, knowing that he loves you, he cares about you, and he is going to give you what you need. And maybe that's not something you needed. If you're talking to father, not to king, and it's not a transactional relationship you can trust, that he's got your best interests at heart. He knows what he's doing for you. Again, we mix in our, our earthly fathers and sometimes we have a struggle, but our heavenly father, he, he knows and he will care for us and he will do what's best for us, even if that's ignoring us. Um, we also, if we do get what we want, if we ask for it, it's a miracle and we, are, we respond with gratitude. So uh, that's how we know that we are talking to God. We have a relation, we, we're talking in relationship. We're not talking as a transaction uh, and that's not how we pray. And I, I like that this comes before, um, this comes before the next part of adoration, uh, but we'll get to that in a sec. Last thing I wanna say about Father. The reason why we have the ability to call him Father is because we've been adopted into his family. And this adoption, kind of like how Jesus, we talked about a couple weeks ago, how Jesus transferred the conquered people because he conquered the domain of darkness. He transferred the methistomy into his kingdom. Just like that, the same cross also meant that we are adopted into God's family. And now we can go before him as father and he's asked us to treat him as he's, he's dad now. And so we have this new relationship because of what Jesus has done. And I want to point out that in both these cases, the effort and the action is not based on the person that is being conquered or adopted. It's based on the father and the conquering king. They are the ones that make the action. The, the father adopts the son. The father adopts the child. Not the child gets adopted by the family. So it, it, the action is on, is on God's part to bring into his family. The action is on, on Jesus's part to conquer the domain of darkness and bring us into his kingdom. And I just think that's important for us to recognize and to know. So the next part in the prayer is hallowed be your name. And this is the adoration part where we praise God. We adore him and we recognize him for who he is. Um, this word hallowed doesn't get used. Who, who's used hallowed this year? People threw this out there randomly. Maybe after this sermon you will. Yeah, Bob, you're still doing it. Good. Keeping it alive. I made fun of him because he's old. But that's okay. Anyway, uh, so hallowed be your name. This word hallowed, the reason why the Bible translators can't come up with anything is because there's no one phrase that really encapsulates all that it means. It means sacred. It means central and it means ultimate. It means all these things. It's sacred, it's holy, it's central, it's integral, it's unifying, and it's ultimate. It's above all else. This one word emphasizes all these three things and it helps us put in perspective who we're talking to, that yes, we are supposed to come to God as if we are his children and we can come to him at any time for any reason. But we also have to recognize as we come before him, he is king. He is Lord of everything. He is, he is the king of everything. And so as we come before him, yes, we come as children before our father, but we also recognize that he is powerful and he is God, he is Lord. Uh, and so 
it's important that we recognize these two things, and I think that they work together. But I love that first and foremost, it comes our Father. We recognize Him as Father, so that we have this confidence to go before Him with whatever we have. But before we get into what we want, before we get into uh, the things that we need to discuss with Him, we're, we're praising His name and recognizing who He is. And then the next part, it says, Your will, or Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not, let me be clear, this is not us giving permission to God. Like Jesus isn't saying, hey, God's waiting for you to say, your will be done so he can do it. Like that's, that's not happening. God's will is going to be done. It will always be done. That's just, that's God's right. He is king. He is Lord of everything. His will will be done. Uh, so we're not necessarily giving permission, but we still get the opportunity to come and talk with him about it. And there's a couple of key characters in the Bible that give us an example of this, Abraham and Moses, who both have a moment where they're talking with God about something God is planning on doing, but they have a problem with it. And they talk with him and actually God alters his plan. And it's this key moment. Now you can argue, well, maybe God knew he was going to have that conversation with him, but I think he does that with all of us. He does know everything and he does have this, this will at, at work and he is at, on mission to bring everyone into his kingdom that he possibly can but he still listens to us. He still wants us to come before him. We just have to have this recognition. This is the next part of this, is that we have to have this recognition that while we have our stuff and as we go before our father and our king, as we come to present him what we want to talk about, we have to first remember that he's on mission to do something. He's got a will to happen and it's, it's already happening. We are but small pieces in a very large puzzle that we are not the center of. We have to recognize that and understand that that he is on mission to do something, and that's to bring everybody into this kingdom. So I think this, these, this is the beginning of, of the prayer. It's helping us understand a few things, that, that he's our father, that he's our king, and that he has his will, and it's, it's happening. He's, he's bringing his kingdom here. So then we move on to give us this day our daily bread, which is the petition, the asking for God for stuff. And this is probably where we camp out most in our prayers. If you're anything like me, I'm selfish. I'm always asking God for what I want. Uh, and so I'm constantly going before God, asking him for all this different stuff. Um, and this is that part of the prayer. And I, it's this next part, by the way. Uh, but what I wanted to do as I broke down this prayer and as I, I filled it out, you can hit the next slide. Oh, there we go. Uh, as I filled it out, I, I made it go like this, not because I want petition to seem like it's the most important part of the prayer. It's not the most important. It's the most dependent. You can't do petition. You can't go before God and ask for all these things. You can't do that properly unless you've done every other part of the prayer. All the other parts of the prayer are, are fundamental to asking God for stuff. And so we, we are supposed to go before our father and our king, and we are supposed to ask him for things, but we're all spo- supposed to do all this other stuff first, or at least at some point in this prayer. It, it is dependent upon the rest of the prayer. So you are supposed to do these things, but it's conditional. And one of the, the things that I think we're supposed to learn uh, is that we, we're talking to our father, so we're supposed to have confidence, confidence that he cares what we have to say. This is an important step that I think a lot of Christians skip over. Again, and that's why I think it's important that we're talking to our father, our dad, not just king. 
Because while, yes, he has his kingdom and he is king over it and he has his plans and he has his will and it's gonna happen, he still wants to hear from you and we have to have the confidence that he cares what we have to say. But we also have to have perspective that what we're saying is, again, a small piece of a much larger puzzle. We're still, we're supposed to share it, but we also keep that in perspective of what he's up to and who he is. We're also supposed to be humble, recognizing who we are, that we are just children in this relationship. I, I, one of the sermons I was listening to, um, I was listening to a series by Tim Keller and he was talking about his children. He said he, he had the ability to relate to his kids best when they understood that they were children. When the, mo- the more they understood that they were children, the more mature they were. And it was just this understanding that he was able to reason with them on a different level because they understood who they were and what position they were at. And the same thing with our heavenly father, we're supposed to go before him, but we keep our humble, our humility as we recognize who we are, that we are just children in this equation. And then we're also supposed to be reconciled. This is an important other step uh, to asking God for things is that we have to be reconciled with him, which is what we're coming up to. Before we move on, I want to just point out what Jesus is praying for in this moment. He says, give us this day our daily bread. When I, the reason why I wanted to cover this particular passage, why I felt God leading me to it, was because um, obviously we've been going through a bunch of different stuff with the church and, and uh, the staff and been really confused of what, what God is up to. And I, I didn't really know. I, I still don't completely understand. Uh, and so one of the things my dad was, I had a conversation with my dad, who's, who's a pastor, and he, uh, he shared with me, one of the things I, I had said to him was like, Dad, I, I don't know how much I can give. I don't know how much more I can give. And he, uh, he said to me, well, that's good. You never had anything to give anyway. I was like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> but uh, he, he was just emphasizing that it's all about the Holy Spirit. Like, that's, what, that's where you get anything, and that's what you're supposed to give every time. It's not from you, it's from the Spirit. So I understood that. And then uh, he said that in the midst of this time, we should be praying. Like, as we don't understand, as we don't know, we should just be praying. Um, and so that's what we did. We set, we set aside our mornings and just prayed every day as a staff and tried to figure out, okay, God, what do you want us to do? And one of the things Annika had prayed was just this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Um, and, I, you know, I've heard it a thousand times. You know, I memorized it. I know what it says. But it was one of the first times that I heard it, and I was just deeply impacted of like, ah. Oh. And it was at this point when she said, like, give us this day our daily bread. I was like, yes, God. Like, I want your kingdom come. I want your will to be done. I, I want you to be in charge of everything. I want you to be Lord of this church. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to come and do all this stuff. And I need to remember that you're my father who loves me. And, I, and, and when she got to this point, I was like, God, all I'm asking for, all I have the ability to ask for at this moment is just give me what I need for today. That's it. My immediate necessities, that's it. I don't even have the capacity to ask you for anything beyond this. Just give me what I need today to help love and guide your people. That's all I need. And I love that. That's, that's, that's his prayer and his petition. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily mean we can't bring up other stuff. I want you guys to pray to God and understand that you have this relationship, have an authentic, genuine relationship with God. You can't hide anything. I don't know if you've ever thought that. I used to think like, oh, I can hide, you know, some stuff from God and I can pretend like my motives are good, you know, like God, give me a wife because it'll make me a better man. You know, no, I was being selfish. I just wanted a wife for myself, which he gave me one, which is awesome. Woo-hoo. Thanks, babe. Um, but 
God knows. And at, at a certain point in my life, as I began to pray, I just felt, why am I even doing this? You know, like I, I just got to be real with him. I just got to be honest with him. So I don't think that you have to change what you're saying necessarily, but I do think that it's important that, well, and I'm really appreciating this time that what I really want, well, all I'm really asking for is just whatever I need for the moment. Because honestly, I, I like this relationship with him. I like that, you know what, I'll ask for what I need today. And tomorrow, guess what? I'm going to do the same thing. I'm not going to ask for you to help me tomorrow today. I'm going to wait till tomorrow to do it again. And I'm going to keep doing this because I, I want to keep having this relationship that's dependent on each day having a talk with my king, with my dad. So uh, remember, this is not the most important part. It's the most dependent. Uh, so let's, let's read the rest. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. This kind of goes back to uh, what I shared a couple weeks ago uh, about God's, Jesus's kingdom is a kingdom of forgiveness. That for us to enter into it, we have to be forgiven. And for us to participate into, in it, we have to forgive. He follows this up, Jesus follows this up, just to emphasize this point even more so in Matthew six fourteen and 15. After the prayer, he says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So this is this reconciliation portion of the prayer where we're supposed to go before God and be reconciled with him in our relationship. Uh, and, and he's emphasizing that it has to, we have to participate in it. You don't get to be, you don't get to have this forgiving relationship with God if you're not gonna have it with others. It's, you have to do both. Uh, and if you're gonna participate in Jesus's kingdom, understand that his kingdom is one of forgiveness and so we have to share. And I know this is tough. I know that you don't know what this person did. Well, I don't care. It, it's nothing to what you've been forgiven. I guarantee it. Uh, and that's always the case. And that's why I think it's important. I used to think that, you know, we have to pray these things. Like early on when I was a young, a young boy, I, I used to think that I had to pray this or like if I died and I hadn't prayed it that day or sinned since then, like my sins weren't forgiven. You know, like I had to keep asking for it all the time, which that wasn't necessarily bad habits, but one of the things that I, I started to recognize as I learned more and grew in my understanding of, of Jesus' sacrifice is that I don't have to pray this uh, because it's going to renew my, his sacrifice for me or renew this, but it is going to remind me of my place and what I've done and this relationship and how, it's, how I'm able to even talk to him as father is because of the sacrifice he made for me, because he has forgiven me. And it also helps me relate to others and keep in perspective that each and every day I ask my God to forgive me. And when I come before other people and they've wronged me or hurt me, I understand that I have to forgive them. Because I'm reminded every time that I pray, as I pray to him and ask for forgiveness, I remember what he's forgiven me and, and I, it makes it easier to forgive others. So I think this is an important step of, of prayer. And I, I think it plays into how we ask God for things is understanding we've already had our debts forgiven. The next part, the last part of the prayer, it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I wrote direction. This is the, the next part is direction. Um, deliverance would have been better, a better word, but it didn't have the shun, and I had a thing going. So anyway, um, so, I, but this is the, this part of the prayer, the lead us not into temptation, and this is a key moment um, that I think helps us understand something, that God leads a, is the one that leads us into temptation. Now, don't throw anything at me just yet. 
uh, <laughs> he says, lead us not into temptation. He's talking to God and he's saying, don't God, please don't lead us into temptation. And understand that Jesus's experience so far has been this, that he was baptized by his cousin John, uh, some form of relationship. And uh, they, he was baptized and immediately a dove descended, the spirit descended and God, the clouds opened up and God said, this is my son. He, he acknowledges this is my son. And then from that point, Jesus gets up and he goes off and he's led by the spirit, led by the spirit into the wilderness. And do you know what happens to them there, him there? He's tempted, led by the spirit into temptation. And this, this doesn't always sit quite right with us, but I, I think it's important for us to understand that, uh, A, we're, we're able to ask God to not lead us into temptation, uh, as Jesus does here. But we're also looking at temptation as if it is the, the real consequence. It's not. Temptation, trials, suffering, they're not the real consequence. Those are things that we have to live through, things that we have to do. Jesus himself, who was perfect, endured them and, and, and went through them. So these aren't the real consequence. The real consequence is when we go through those things, we tend to get corrupted by them and turn to sin. We tend to walk away from our relationship with God. We tend to walk towards ourselves or whatever else we're walking towards that's not God. And so this is the real corruption, the real consequence of what temptation and suffering can bring is evil, is sin. And so what he's asking for is deliver us from the evil. As we go through temptation, as we go through struggle and suffering and pain, as we go through these trials, make sure it doesn't corrupt us. Make sure God help us not be corrupted by these moments. And I, this is what the point where God asked me to share like my personal stuff. And it's, it's always hard, but um, I've been going through struggles, you know, like th- this past couple years and trying to figure out like, okay, God, what, what are you doing? And what, what do you want from me? And I've been struggling and, and fighting for what I believe, but not always feeling very successful. And it's been, it's been a hard time. And I'll be honest with you, Jesus gets the opportunity to say these things as if like, he gets the opportunity to say these things perfectly. Like, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. He gets the opportunity to share with us that, you know, okay, we can go through trials and temptation and not be corrupted by it because that's what he did. He went through sufferings. He went through every every temptation, every problem that he could have gone through, none of it corrupted him. All of it refined him and built him up. All of it made him more impressive and more awesome. I'm not Jesus. I went through trials. I've gone through sufferings and I have not come out better necessarily. Parts of me have been refined. Parts of me I've trusted in God and and I, I, I don't think everything has been bad, but I also have been feeling for quite some time a feeling of bitterness and anger rise within me. I've been pretty honest about it, but it's, it's, a, it's a struggle. It's something I recognize is there, but I don't want to be there. And it's tough because I'm going through my trial, I'm going through my suffering, and rather than be refined by it, I'm being corrupted by it. And this bitterness is, and anger has caused me to get to the place where I'm at, where I, I, I feel personally like I... I before I can get anywhere, before I can help anyone, I, I need to return to my father and be reminded that he loves me for me, not for what I bring to him, not for what I can do for him, not for any talents he's given me, but just for me, that I am his child and that's it. 
That's my relationship with him. And that's the relationship I need to return to if I'm going to continue to serve him. Because I, I can't do it with the bitterness and anger within me. And I need him to deliver me from that evil. And I need to be reminded of my relationship with him. And so that's that direction. That God, as we pray this, this ending part of the prayer, that we are asking for him to guide us back to himself, who he is. Um, the last part of this, uh, you might not, it, it's not here, um, but who, who knows that something might be missing from this? Who, who feels like something's missing from this, this prayer? Do you know what it is? For thine is the... Kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. That's right. It's actually, if we look at Matthew six thirteen from the NASB in 1995, I know, super specific, uh, but it says this, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, the reason why this is in parentheses and why it's omitted from lots of uh, Bibles, tran- Bible translations now is because uh, in the earliest manuscripts, archaeologists have discovered that this isn't there. This phrase was added in over time that as, as people began to uh, share the Bible, translate it, and pass it around, the early church at some point started to scribble in this. I, I'm wondering, you know, Jesus doesn't really end this prayer. Like it, it just kind of, it's open-ended. And I'm wondering if maybe Jesus did that on purpose. Like he's, you're supposed to always be praying, so never cap it off. But maybe like the early church was like sitting and praying and talking like, how do I know when he's done? Like, I, I, don't, I don't really understand. Like he, he didn't say, well, okay but are you done yet? Like, so maybe they were like, oh, we need to come up with a phrase that lets us know, okay, the next person can pray. Uh, and that's this amen. And that's where it started to build up. And now today we usually say in Jesus name, amen. Uh, other people will have different variations of it, but we have some form of this and that's our, that's our amen. The phrase amen, by the way, literally just translates, let it be. That's it. I always think of the Beatles song. Uh, so that's, that's the, the phrase that's going to be stuck in your head all day. Uh, good. But the phrase amen, it just helps us. What, I, what I'll say about this, I don't think you need to change this. I don't think just because it wasn't originally what Matthew wrote. Actually, I, I kind of think it's cool. We get a glimpse into the early church. But I don't think you necessarily need to change how you finish your prayer. Uh, you might, but that's up to you. What I think we have to be mindful of and careful of is to... Um, not let it become meaningless, empty, like the pagans. Like sometimes I think we say, in Jesus' name, amen, and just finish it off, and, and because that's just what we always say. But just kind of like when we start our prayer, we're, we're saying, Father, Papa, you know, we have to attach new meaning to that and understand who we're talking to. I think also at the end of our prayers, when we, we finish it and say, in Jesus' name, amen, we, we don't let that become meaningless, Remember what you're saying in Jesus' name, the name that is hallowed, that is sacred and, and central and ultimate, the name that means that you can have relationship with God. The reason you are even able to have this conversation that you've been adopted and you are now child in that name by his power. Amen. So I'd encourage you just not, not necessarily that you have to change how you pray, the wording and, and all that stuff, but Maybe return back to the original meaning and remember why you say these things in the first place. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.